Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy, and I am back again with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And of course, with me is super producer Alex. How are hey you? Hey there, Miss Tracy. It's good to be here. Thank you. Good. Good. You having a good day? I am. Staying warm? How about you? Uh, I'm cold. I'm ready for I'm ready for spring. It's April. We still spring's not here yet. Snowed all day yesterday. It's ridiculous. Yeah, this is okay. Just bring it on. I know, I know. So, uh, but you know what I did during the snow? You know what, what I did is I interviewed our guest today, Rob Doctors. He's a lawyer and an author. Oh, okay. So we got a lot of a lot of attorneys in this last little batch. It seems like. But tell me about Rob Doctors and how did he get the name that indicates Fraud against medical professionals. Rob, uh, ro- doctors. Robbing doctors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's right there in the name. It is. And I did not catch that. So <laughs> this is why you're on the show, Alex, is to find the obvious. I did Truly, not know. his calling would have been for something in pharmaceutical sales where you're doing um, outside visits to doctors. Hi, I'm Rob Doctors. I'd like to come into your office, into where you keep the, uh, the pharmaceuticals. oh my god i don't know if either me and rob did not talk about that and i don't know how did you not see that (laughs) but he he wrote this book he wrote this book uh all about greed and the ethics behind greed and uh, he has all kinds of stories really interesting stories um we talked about if someone's shoes can predict fraudulent activity turns out they can Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I we have got to hear this. I know you're not going to give me. I'm not going to tell you right now. But I've got to hear this one. Yeah. Yeah. And he used to live in the uh, same town as Martha Stewart, and he's got some dirt on her. Well, I want to hear that too. But I'm going to ask you for one little tip. Hmm. What shoes would I expect somebody to be wearing if they were BSing me? Shoes that are. I'm just going to say a little bit out of style. That's pretty much all my shoes. Right. Are you a fraudster? Are you a fraudster? Is this what we're uncovering? Nope. Nope. We went the wrong direction in this conversation. We're just going to take a left here at Albuquerque. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, so Rob, so he goes over all this in his book, Ethics and Hidden Greed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so he's got just all these stories about what's going on how how greed is actually structured because it's really fascinating and the the conversation was it it was much more interesting than i thought it was going to be i i didn't know what was going to happen but i i was just sucked in from really from the beginning well before we get in there i just have one question and then i do want to hear what he has to say uh-huh. uh is there any reference to gordon gecko in this interview no who is gordon gecko greed is good oh I don't know. Is that a book? No, it's the uh, it's the Michael what's his name Michael Douglas um, movie from the eighties Wall Street. Oh, okay. And where he was Gordon Gecko, the you know the uh, not hedge funds guy, he was the acquisitions guy. But um, but yeah, he was famous for saying one of his most famous lines from that movie: "Greed is good." 
Oh, well, we did not get there with Rob because Rob Rob's on the on the side of greed is bad. Okay. And that may very well be the case. It was just, uh, you know, anytime I hear the word greed mentioned in this, you know, as a concept, the concept of greed, uh-huh. I instinctively think of that movie, Wall Street from the 80s. I'm going to have to but, watch um, it now. Yeah, with Gordon Gecko. So it was Michael Douglas is Gordon Gecko. He's like the mentor. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he's kind of a it was modeled after somebody, but I can't remember who. Anyway, so somebody in real life. And then, of course, his uh, his mentee, the uh-huh. young guy he's bringing up, who ends up turning on him and turning state's evidence against him, was um, Sheen, Charlie Sheen. That's his name. Oh, well, I'm going to have to watch it now. I, I know Rob Doctors would have, he would have the analysis to get to the bottom of all of that. I'm sure he would. Well, let's go check it out. Let's talk to Rob. It's Tracy, and I am back for another interview on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And today, I have author Rob Doctors with me, and he has this new book out, Ethics and Hidden Greed, Your Defense Against Unethical Strategies and Violations of Trust. So, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tracy. Now, let's let's talk about, um, let's talk about greed. Let's talk, because... I think I think fraud is, and, and that's you know mostly what I cover here is a lot of fraud. Uh, fraud is born of greed. And so, what is your craziest story of greed-related fraud that you got? Well, there's a whole bunch of ways in which fraud and people have interacted, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and at this point, we're kind of used to it. For instance, a former president, when he ran a company, was notorious for not paying his uh, his employees and his workers. Oh, yeah. Um, he didn't pay his vendors either. And I, I have a, a client in the uh, apartment world who he chose to not pay. So I, I know about that. Yes. Um, but I think maybe from the point of view of trying to detect fraud, mm-hmm. uh, one of the more amusing stories I ran across was there was a miscreant finance company in London mm-hmm. and they defrauded a dozen or so invest uh, money managers, investment companies of millions and millions of pounds. Mm-hmm. One that turned him down. And apparently one of the few that turned him down was interviewed by the times of London. And they said, why did you turn him down? And his answer was he had two tone shoes so wait, and so he, tur- he turned him down for an offer to finance something or what did he turn yes. him down for? Okay. Okay. Exactly. Okay. They wouldn't trust him with his money because he had two-tone shoes and that was not an environment nor a time that that two-tone shoes, which, you know, have been popular at times, uh, was acceptable. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I have a theory about shoes. I do. And so we're going to talk right. about it right now because because we're there so i think for guys shoes i think there's a certain style of shoe that that guys that are just going to be jerks wear and and, and i have noticed it my whole life it's not a recent a, a recent theory and um so i um i would applaud this company who chose to not do business with someone because of their shoes and you would have turned him down too, I guess. I would have. I'd be like, nope, this is going to go wrong, right? Because you you can tell a lot from the shoe shoe and sock combination. You really can. I agree, and I'm not a psychologist, and uh-huh. I wasn't there, but I think that that makes sense actually that do that for the shoes, and at least in that case, and probably in cases you can think of, because a lot of 
theft and a lot of fraud and, a, and, and all, I would say, unethical behavior stems from a person's self-esteem and his, the, the feeling that he can do or she can do no wrong. And there's all these examples. And, and by the way, that would be a fashion faux pas as well. I don't mm -hmm. care that no one else is wearing two-tone shoes. I will. And mm -hmm. it'll look great on me. But <laughs> let's talk about your shoes, Rob. <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> well, since you ask, I have a top cider. Oh, no. there you go. Okay. All right. Very good. So I don't see any fraud predicted with your shoes. Just so you know. Otherwise, the, the screen would have gone dark, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's there's all these examples of, of people who feel very self-assured doing mm -hmm. unethical and sometimes illegal. And by the way, of course, illegal is not the same as unethical. It overlaps, but it isn't, which is mm -hmm. not the same as amoral overlaps. So unethical, just to define the term, Mm -hmm. is when you're doing something that misrepresents yourself. So, for instance, mm -hmm. telling your children that they're going to get their favorite dessert after dinner mm -hmm. and then not giving it to them isn't illegal. Right. It may not even be immoral, but it is unethical. Right. So what's happened is that uh, there's, there's an interesting, there's many examples of where wealth is associated with unethical behavior. And the reason is, it's associated with a certain self-righteousness and an okay. indifference to others. Mm -hmm. And I've done interesting experiments. Example, uh, one person tried the following experiment, which was that they brought people into focus groups and there was a big bowl of candy. Okay. And he told everyone that the candy, they, they were only allowed one because he wanted enough for the children who were doing something later on with the mm -hmm. bowl of candy. Mm -hmm. He had segmented the focus groups into people of, average wealth, and people who their signs were very well off. The very well off people took more than one piece of candy. Really? Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Oh, no, wait, where was this study? Where was this study done? Uh, well, it's in my book, and I could look it up, but I, I apologize. I don't have it at the top of my head. Okay, okay. The site. And then the average wealth people just took, you know, one. Uh -huh. <laughs> and there's all these examples of people who feel very self-righteous. I mean, more, while we're talking about celebrities, Martha Stewart was a good example. Okay, let's we're, talk about Martha. Let's Because she's up yeah. there anyway. You're, you're in Connecticut. Are y'all neighbors or anything? Uh, I lived in the same town as she did at one point. Oh, all right. Okay, let's hear the gossip. What do you got, Rob? Well, this is, the, I'll, I'll spare the gossip, although there is a bunch that's sort oh, of interesting. Uh, no, we need we need a little bit. This is true. We need gossip. Cover. We need just, just a just a touch. We got it. We got okay. to get on the truth part. Here's one that there was a rambled, uh, rambling shot, broken down uh, mansion in Westport, Connecticut okay. called the Baron's Mansion. Okay. Baron associated with the publication. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm dead now, but you know, nonetheless, mm -hmm. at any rate, she organized a, <laughs> a activity that we were going to repair this, this building so that it was a monument to Westport and not an eyesore. Okay. So I know several carpenters who volunteered their time. Mm -hmm. I know a few other people who volunteered their time to repair this thing. At the end of it, Martha said, thank you, and sold the mansion at a huge profit. Oh! <laughs> now, did everybody knew, know that she owned it to start with? Or 
The honesty, I don't know what they did, but it, it oh. clearly she was the one who was organizing everything. Uh-huh. Wow. So she got herself some free labor. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's been bigger monies too. Like when she sold her um, magazine and such, she got $1.9 billion for the mm-hmm. IPO. Mm-hmm. Good amount of money. Yeah. Yet within a couple of years, she was in court because she was guilty of stock fraud to the tune of $200 million. Yeah. Or 200, yeah. sorry, $200,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you kind of have to ask, you're worth a couple of billion, maybe mm-hmm. more by then. Mm-hmm. Why would you do this? Well, that, that, okay. So let's talk about this because why would you do that? Like, because I, I was at a, um, a conference this weekend or actually last week I was down in Dallas at the Institute, Institute of Internal Auditors. And they had a fella uh, who had uh, defrauded a company for like 800000 and he was speaking, and he's a consultant now and that whole thing. And, and, and the thing that, that he said that kind of struck me right along the lines of what we're talking about is why would you risk so much for so little? So what's your, I mean, I think, I think you're the man to talk to about this. Like what's, what's behind that? Well, it is the belief that you will never be called to terms for this. Mm-hmm. It is the belief that essentially because you deserve it, you're right and you should do it and people won't challenge you. Mm-hmm. So I suspect a lot of these people are surprised when suddenly, you know, the law or a lawsuit reaches out and taps them on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and 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 this this ranges from a lot of things. It has all has to do with what you are, what they believe society owes them. So, for instance, there was an article in the New York Times a while back, and it said something like, uh, "What about the angry rich?" And they were commenting that the rich, you know, I don't they didn't define it precisely, but obviously, mm-hmm. you know, millions and millions, billions maybe, um, were angry because, for instance, uh, there was a limit placed when certain banks went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, to their being recompensed. Oh yeah, there's there's account. It's two hundred fifty thousand dollars is the account yeah. limit. Yeah. Well, if you lost two million, you're angry mm-hmm. because you deserve your two million back. Mm-hmm. Perhaps on the shoulders of many taxpayers, but you deserved it. Mm-hmm. So there is this feeling of entitlement. There is a belief that you are worth it into society, and they mm-hmm. should only do their fair share. Uh, and also a belief you can get away with some things and in retrospect, you probably weren't likely to. Huh. So that's one of the things that's going on in the minds. It seems to me of greedy. And in many cases, not all, there's some uh-huh. honest billionaires out there, uh-huh. um, but that's going in their minds and what they're going to do to you. And- now, now um, that's kind of interesting. Like the, like the comment that you made, like what they're going to do to you, which yeah. makes, which, which would, indicate that they're out a, a certain set of people is out to get you a little bit or or rise above somehow so let's 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 talk about how let's let's backtrack just a little bit how did you get into this line of study i mean why write a book i wrote a book because i was retiring okay and i thought this was sort of the last major impact i was going to have on society oh I mean, wow I volunteer with animals, but, you know, that's like a small number of animals and people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
the reason I, the inspiration for the book was that I was having breakfast with a lady, really smart, nice lady who runs a billion dollar company. Okay. And she commented during the course of the breakfast, she said, yeah, you know, I think I get hit by, you know, I'm defrauded regularly, mm-hmm. but I don't even know when it's happening. Uh-huh. Oh. Someone that smart uh-huh. doesn't know what's hitting her. That's interesting. Yeah. So I looked through all the uh, 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 casework I had done. Uh-huh. And I concluded there were five forms of greed. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Five forms. What do you got? All right. The first couple are what have been around for a long time. So there's uh-huh. nothing surprising. One of them is theft. Uh-huh. One of them is bullying, just uh-huh. taking. It grows 1% more subtle, which is destroying alternatives. So when the car companies wanted you to drive a car, uh-huh. they bought up all the tram companies, pulled up the tracks. And if you wanted to go somewhere, you needed a car. Well, you know, they just did that. You know where they did that? Uh, just the other day, Nashville. Really? Where uh, a group came in and I don't know exactly who it was. And they defeated the light rail in Nashville just for that reason. Wow. I didn't realize they were still at it, but yeah. I guess it works. So mm-hmm. they're going to continue. Mm-hmm. Another thing you do is you misrepresent something. Um, and, you know, that, that, that some of that's old, but some of it's mm-hmm. more recent. So, for mm-hmm. instance, people seize the language, as I said, call it. Okay. When you go to a, a store and you want to buy some suntan lotion, Mm-hmm. You look at a ton of these suntan lotion-like things, and what you notice is some of them are like 5 or $6, and some of them are $2. Mm-hmm. And you look more closely, and you'll see the $2 ones don't have the phrase suntan lotion or sunblock on them. Oh. The other ones do, the $6 ones. Okay. And that's because the incumbent suntan lotions, the $6 ones, mm-hmm had the you know patented their ingredients which is fine and then they had the fda go after the ones that didn't have the five because they had gotten the fda to specify the u.s mm-hmm. that only five ingredients were actually suntan lotion okay the incumbents happened to have the patent on it they couldn't use just those five mm-hmm. footnote in europe there's 22 ingredients that have been approved as effective huh so maybe there's a different sun there. But in any event, <laughs> it's, 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 it's very different. Uh-huh. So if you want to start up a suntan lotion company and say you have the greatest suntan lotion in the world, you put that on your bottle and it isn't those five ingredients, the knock on the door will be lawyers from the FDA. So now the company has gotten the government to do their dirty work for them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And, well, and that's because of the of a powerful lobby that's gone on. I'm sure. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and the government beats up people all the time. Like when I was, I'm an attorney. Mm-hmm. When I was practicing down in Texas, it was quite amusing. We had a client who had a hundred mile railroad, and the state of Texas declared eminent domain over about a quarter of a mile of it, mm-hmm. and put a road through, and. <laughs> The railroad said, wait a minute, what about my other 99 miles of track? Mm-hmm. And the government said, well, you've still got them. Don't owe you anything. But they don't connect. They couldn't put a, like a crossing guard on it or anything. Like like they just took the whole 
track? They, the well, effectiveness? They, they, the government only took that quarter of a mile. Uh-huh. Okay, well. Oh, wait, there you back. are. Okay, we're, oh, we're back. We made it. Okay. The government let us talk. talk. I know. Big Brother's watching us. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you're back. Okay. So, so they, they took the quarter mile. They didn't put any train crossings in and they were like, see ya. No, we had to sue them. Did, so did it work? Sorry. Did it, did it work? Did you? Yeah. Eventually we won. The judge uh -huh. said, this is ridiculous. Uh-huh. Good. But you know, some bureaucrat in the Texas government clearly said, oh, well, we don't want to pay for a hundred miles of track. Let's just pay for that quarter of a mile of track. Right. Right. So that's a form of greed, not offering value for what you're taking. Right. Um, so anyway, there's there's a lot of examples of where people just grab and and are greedy, or they steal the language, like the suntan lotion. Mm -hmm. Then there's other examples of what I call embedding, and what happens is that they can't be there when the decision is made, but they can ensure the decision has to come out in a certain way, and. An example is um, headhunters, mm -hmm. executive recruiters. I was talking to a partner at one of the two large recruiting firms, and I'd rather not name the name, but it's okay. one of the two. And he said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. We were talking about a particular CEO position they were trying to fill. And he said, yeah, we'd never, ever put in anyone over 55. Mm -hmm. That's not only illegal, but there's it's also profitable. Mm -hmm. uh, and what he said was, look, uh, when we put in a CEO, the first thing he she does is hire a bunch of support. So they hire the CFO, they hire the this and that chief sure. marketing officer. So they never put it in because usually when they place someone, the, the, the executive recruiting firm they use is the one who put them there. So then they get asked, hey, I need a CFO. Hey, I need this. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Whereas if they put in a 65-year-old, not clear how long that'll go. Mm -hmm. And the guy also may know more people, whatever. At any rate, that's what I call embedding. You put in something that will serve your purposes, even though the hiring committee of the company, I'm sure, would have said, go ahead, put in the best person you can. Uh -huh. And But if it's if that person's over 55, they aren't getting them. Mm-hmm. So and then finally, there's there's variations on on, you know, withdrawal hooking. And it's really funny. I start my book with an example from medieval England. OK, from 1300. Mm -hmm. And in those days, apparently the way you bought bread was you said, I'd like two pounds of dough, please. Uh -huh. And then the baker says, all right, pulls out, plops it on a scale gives you roughly your two pounds and then puts it on a counter, beats it or whatever you do with bread. I'm not a cook. No, you um, need it, I think. Ah, you got to you get, get the air pockets out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they need the bread. But meanwhile, those were days when labor was cheap and the materials were expensive. They hide a child underneath the counter who opens up a trap door, reaches uh -huh. up, grabs some bread, closes the trap door. Ah! <laughs> Yes. So okay. at the end of the day, the baker is wealthier by the form of a number of little grabs of bread. And because you apparently cook more than I do, apparently bread loses weight anyhow when it's in an oven. No one can really tell that something got taken. Yeah. Yeah. The water, um, it, it dries. Right. That's ah. yeah. <clears throat> OK. 
Well, unfortunately for this guy, and it was a man book baker, so they all were in those days. Um, <laughs> someone detected what he did, and they weren't they didn't play games back then. Uh-huh. So he's dragged through the street. He was quartered and hung. Yikes! So that's why bakers. Have you ever heard of a baker's dozen, which is yeah. 13? After that, for quite a while, they always tried to put in a little more. That way they weren't going to get dragged through the street. Oh, my God. Okay, so yeah. let's let's talk about that. Um, okay. Uh, punishment for fraudsters isn't really that much, right? So Martha Stewart was in a fairly nice prison, you know, one, I think, without bars. Let's just because t- we're talking about Martha Stewart. Yeah. For a couple years, um, the average, uh, according to the ACFE, the um, uh, Association of Certified Fraud Examiner Examiners, which are basically accountants, um, the the average time in jail is about eighteen months, and so the consequences, and this could be for ruining someone's financial life, right? Which can end up yep. ruining the rest of your life. The con- consequences really aren't that much, so. What's your take on that? that? Do it. So may I give an example of that? Yeah, please do. Yes. Find amusing. So that was loaves of bread in 1300. Mm -hmm. In the year 2023, the famous example of this is by something called Apple Computer. Okay. So they, after a while, would slow down your iPhone. I know it made me mad and I knew they were doing it and they weren't admitting it. It made me so mad. Yes. And the result is that people would buy the new expensive iPhones. Mm-hmm. But a few of the people like yourself who noticed these things said, wait a minute, it slowed down. And in the end, Apple had to pay $30 million to the Department of Justice as punishment for that. And they had to pay $60 million or something in the European Union. Well, I never so, saw any of that money. Yeah, nor did I. And I'm an iPhone user too. But my point is only... Very minimal consequences. Here mm-hmm. you are. At one point, Apple was the wealthiest company in the world. Right. And you're being asked to pay $30 million. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they were able to keep from guffawing as they wrote out the check. Right. Well, yeah. So do you think if we if we had more public hangings and things like that, that uh, fraud would decrease? What do you think? Or do, or Or do you think that this entitlement would still be there and insurmountable? What do you think? I suspect it's insurmountable. Do you really? Okay. Maybe we need a few hangings, you know, what the heck. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, uh, these people don't feel they're doing anything wrong. They are sociopaths, many of Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, some are not. Like, for instance, I love this story. There are three billionaires that got created by the the founding of Home Depot. Oh. Yep. And. Apparently very nice people. I met mm-hmm. one of them, actually. And, um, you know, he was authoritative, but nice. And there's a third one. And he had founded another retail chain okay. four or five years earlier, which had gone bankrupt. And he'd asked people for money to invest, and they all lost their money. But when he became a multi-billionaire by Home Depot, he went back and he repaid all those people. He really? Had, yeah, a guy called Langone. And he had no need to do that, but he did. And that seems to me is proof that this was a reasonable, decent guy. Wow. So not all, but many. If you'd like another example of a billionaire who I think did something completely unethical, I have to give it to you. Mm-hmm. 
or we may not have time. So we got plenty, Rob. We got time. We got time. (laughs) Did you notice that on the cover of Forbes, there was a, I hate to say this, somewhat oily looking individual. And it said, I've forgotten the guy's name, actually, but it said uh, the newest billionaire, uh, billions in revenue, no risk which immediately pricked up my ears. Uh-huh, you know, that, uh-huh. yeah. So what he does is he started a firm and they sold to contractors or they were agents for contractors. So if you're sitting in your kitchen with your husband or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy wants that you're talking to a builder about refurbishing some part of your house mm-hmm. and you suddenly decide, you know, we'd really like a wing with a ping pong table in it or something. Okay. But we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. At that point, the contractor leans forward and says, you know, uh, we can we can find financing for you. And he can. And it's the following. He picks up his cell phone and immediately gets the financing. It takes literally seconds for the computer to do some mm-hmm. basic checking. OK. And he says, here's the deal. The deal is <laughs> you get this money for free for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Who could argue with that? What he doesn't usually mention is if after 18 months, you're one minute late for anything, you have to pay all the interest from the ground zero and it's a higher rate and la, la, la. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the lenders do very well because on average, somebody will forget to pay Mm -hmm. and they've made a loan. The person has, you know, what they want, but they're now going to be paying dearly for it. And that is unethical. One of the things that, the ethics writers, and there's one in particular I base my book on, mm-hmm. uh, that um, say is you, you cannot take advantage unfairly of people just because you know more than they do, mm-hmm. just because they are they are in some ways disadvantaged. That is not ethical. Well, and, okay, so it's not, but it happens all the time, right? And so, oh, yeah. and so, at what point does consumer education, like educating yourself, and taking care of yourself, come because because pretty much what we're doing here is blaming the kind of the blame the rich guy, right? <clears throat> but at what point do you need to start advocating for yourself and and reading the fine print? For example, uh, a couple years ago when Texas had that big freeze, everybody's heating bill went through the roof because they had signed contracts that said, "Guess what? When it's really cold." Your bill is going to go up. Well, they didn't like it when they figured out what that really meant. And so there's in situations like that, is there is it the gray area or is it that you need to like do a little more homework before just signing stuff like like what? How can people protect themselves from this? Well, I think it's exactly as you say, they do need to do more homework Mm -hmm. and they need to be observant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are not observant. I know. Remember at one point, uh, everyone was concerned because the tuna fishing industry was scooping up dolphins like Flipper, you know, in their nets mm-hmm. and drowning them. Yeah. And they're intelligent, kind animals. Dolphins, by the way, have actually been recorded as uh, protecting shipwreck survivors from sharks. Oh, and that's seem- interesting. Yeah. Dolphins are super smart. Have you ever swam yeah. with dolphins? I've not done that. I have swam with wild dolphins in Hawaii and they are amazing. Like they are, they're so amazing. So um, I did not know that they, 
that they'd protect the shipwreck survivors. That's crazy. Yes, an interesting example. But with the cans of tuna fish, originally mm-hmm. we passed some laws, and if the technique by which some tuna fishermen get their their tuna is they look and see where are the dolphins. The dolphins eat tuna too. And then they go over with their nets and they kill both tuna and dolphins. Mm -hmm. Called sighting on the tuna. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't sight on the tuna, you could get this little tuna safe thing. If you look on your next can of tuna fish, Uh you'll see it. However, there's two types of little insignias. One is colorful and one is black and white. Okay. And what happened was the tuna industry went to as you said, lobby, and they relaxed all the rules on when they could put that insignia on it. But the counter, the counter fight from the environmentalists and the like was you can't put it in color. So next time it'll, bo- it'll all both say dolphin safe or uh-huh. whatever, but one will be colorful and one will not. And unless you notice that something changed, you might never inquire into why did it change? And one's the difference between being safe for dolphins and one's bullshit. So one is safe and one is just like they just put it on there and they're lying about it, but it's yes. not in color. So it doesn't count. Something like Really? That. Are you serious? Yeah. That uh, sadly, is cool. yes. Well, because you know where a lot of our tuna comes from is down around Samoa. So um, it, it comes from pretty far away and they, you know, ship it over here. So, huh. Now, um let's let's talk let's let's uh, change the topic here just a little bit what about um boards of directors what about boards of directors? <laughs> what do you know about them because you know you can get into whenever there's a board it gets sticky because you can get into groupthink. you can also get into a lot of fighting um what is your thought on ethics you know because their interest is the stock price usually what do you think well we actually have a chapter about mm-hmm. chairs of boards and chairmen and such. Mm-hmm. My co-author uh, was chairman of three or four companies. He was chairman of something called LexisNexis. Yeah. He was, chair- he was chairman of Houghton Mifflin. Mm-hmm. He was chairman of Monster.com. Oh, wow. And a number of others. Mm-hmm. Now he's more into private equity, so they're somewhat smaller firms. Mm-hmm. But in any event, he wrote a nearly interesting chapter about the stuff that comes up to the board mm-hmm. and how people react. And the answer is boards, for some reason, aren't very energetic at looking at the stuff in front of them. And I've heard that on other topics and other sources. In any case, so something comes to them. We need your approval stamped approved Mm -hmm. and the thing that the board needs to do is actually pay attention to what it's in front of them sure the famous example of all times is the ford pinto that's a little old now but i love it yeah let's let's talk about it because didn't it it had some trouble let's talk about the pinto right the way the engineers first engineered the ford pinto Mm -hmm. was that the bolts that hold on the bumper were an inch or something from the gas tank which was Mm -hmm. in the back of the car Mm-hmm. So if a car hit you from behind, mm-hmm. the the, the uh, bumper would move in and the bolts would, would 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 punch holes in the gas tank. Right. Which not surprisingly would leak. And then in many cases, there's a fire. Mm-hmm. And it was just the perfect storm, because if it hit hard enough, the frame, which was not very strong in a Pinto, would shift. So the doors wouldn't open. So not only were you going to fry or your car was going to fry, you were going to fry with it. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, okay. So, 
All right, this became known to Ford before they generally released the Pinto because mm -hmm. they do tests. And the question before the board, the Ford board, was should they do something about it? Mm -hmm. Well, what happened was they used a not very smart finance guy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I do finance and for consulting firms. Mm -hmm. And he said, no problem. Here's the math. We're going to sell about two and a half million Pintos. We're going to have maybe 100,000 accidents. Mm -hmm. Of those, only 30,000 will blow up. And the court will probably only assign us $80,000 per dead body. Mm -hmm. Those were totally wrong numbers, of course. You know, they, they actually had many more blow ups. And the court started handing out between one and a half and three million dollars for each dead body. Oh, boy. So the math wasn't right. But beyond that, the ethics were not right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because there is this assertion when you sell a car or sell anything that, that this isn't going to kill you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just part of the implicit. So at any rate, um, the trouble was not very many boards. There's a couple that have, I think 3M has a one and a few others, Boeing might have one have very senior people, ethics officers is what they're sometimes called, mm -hmm. who check these things. Because it would have taken, you know, like a day of checking the numbers to say, wait a minute, all those numbers, forget them. You know, mm -hmm. this is what it is. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> one problem with the board is they don't spend much money on the major issues facing them. They don't have the support they should to check the numbers that come in front of them. And usually they're saying, well, yes, to whatever the chairman wants. Mm -hmm. So this is the board is a real we ethical weak point in the corporate structure, in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, wow. Okay. So, how can people protect themselves? Because everybody's out there to get everything they can get. Well, how do people protect the, themselves? Well, the way you've always done it: re reputation mm -hmm. and knowing who you're dealing with. I mean, if you whatever, get a cake from your mother, you probably suspect it's a healthy cake and you don't have to worry about the poison, right? Mm -hmm, right. I don't know your mother, but... My, mom, my mom's good with cakes. She has a sweet tooth. She loves cakes. Ah, so <laughs> what you need to do is the same with companies. Uh -huh. There's a lawsuit, uh, not to Pinto, but someone sued Ford and said the deaths per mile of Ford's cars were three times higher than that of General Motors. Really? Yeah. So if you buy a Ford, good luck to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're taking a certain risk. And in general, certain companies have great reputations. Others mm -hmm. do not. Mm -hmm. Example, uh, Lego, little, little toys. Yeah, yeah. Has a great reputation. Mm -hmm. And they did an amazing thing. They, they looked at their product and they said, you know, this is just plain old petrochemicals that end up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So they switched over to a biodegradable, but still firm and usable. Mm -hmm. Looks like plastic, but it's not really. Uh, and they discovered that that would cost them an extra 15%. And what they, instead of just hiding this, they went and they told the public, their buyers, by the way, you're getting a 15% price rise. And it's not because we're going to make 15% more on it. It's because we're buying this more expensive material. Mm -hmm. And Lego suffered not at all from that moves and that 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 that, mm -hmm. that move. Mm -hmm. So I claim if you can know something about the reputation of who you're buying from, mm -hmm. that's the way to do it. Because as we described earlier, you can't judge it by looking at something. 
you know, the Lego looked the same. Uh, you know, everything that's in front of you, the, the, the tuna can, they all look the same. You need to know that this was an ethical company. Interesting. So, okay, so let's talk about that. Best way to do reviews. Is it is it like a Yelp situation or a Google review situation? Or do you have to dig deeper? Like what's the, um, what's your bar? Well, the, the bar is to do anything, mm-hmm. you know, frankly. And you're already ahead of what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I do like about Google, uh, you know, there's some things they haven't done that's quite right, but pretty good. They're a pretty good company, mm-hmm. uh, is that if you Google something, you'll find commentary. And half the time, they're complaining about things that you mm-hmm. never even guessed at. Like, example, if you look up Apple, besides the problem with the battery, mm-hmm. apparently some of their factories in China were using child labor. Oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah, uh, Nike, and, all of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, but, you know, I wouldn't have known that. And uh-huh. it impacts what I'm going to buy. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, it may take a little bit of work, a little bit of effort, but you can find out if the entity you're buying from is ethical or not. Well, well, I always say in my talks, and you heard it in my uh, demo video that um, yeah. that you got you got to pay attention, or you pay with pain. So read up on what you're going to buy. And one of the things you should buy is Rob's book, Ethics and Hidden Greed. It's fascinating. You got so many little stories in there. Um, any last notes on Martha Stewart before we let you go? Um, I would say, let's see what what is? Oh yeah, I just wanted to comment. Greed is pervasive. It's broader. Uh-huh. I don't know if you got to that chapter, but I have a chapter called generational yeah. greed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most people don't think it's greed that's creating conflict, mm-hmm. but it is. Mm-hmm. The, there's all these surveys that say people under 24 think they'll never own a house. Mm-hmm. And they present that. And that's why you have these movements like, okay, boomer, have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Because they see the high house ownership, you know, the older generations, and they don't got it. So just be warned. It, it motivates people. Greed motivates people to be harsh at a minimum, unethical, a little harder, illegal, mm-hmm. yet harder still. Um, and it, you just have to, like, have thought about it. Think a little more, pay a little more attention. I love it. Rob, thank you so much for coming on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I've, I've really enjoyed our talk. Well, thank you. I did too. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.